0: Hi, welcome to the Reds Podcast. Your host, Joe Roters here, and co-owner and partner, Steve Joyce, is here with me. How you doing, Steve?
1: Good. Real good. Nice day on the river today.
0: Yeah, so when we started this podcast, one of our goals uh, was to deliver as much good educational information as we could uh, to the angler, help you guys out, make you better fishermen, and uh, we're going to start doing these a little bit shorter and a little bit more... Uh, I'd say just quick, kind of brief, good lessons for folks. So uh, what are we
1: talking about today, Steve? Today we're going to be talking about mending the fly line. And when it comes to fishing, fly fishing, I always like to tell people there's two parts of catching fish. The first part of it is the casting part of it. Really and truly, people love casting, but all casting is is delivering the fly to the water. When it comes to catching fish, it's the least important part of fly fishing. It the most important part of it is what we would define as line management and mending falls within that category and that's how does your fly look to the fish? What's the presentation look like? As you know, Joe, you spend many days saying mend in the mend. middle of a drift boat. Mend. 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 And it's important. <laughs> when it comes to putting fish in the net, it is important.
0: Yeah, we uh we should change the name of this podcast to the mend. <laughs> yeah, a mend I like as we taught a lot of classes over the years. Mend is just like fixing stuff, right? Like guys, I mean, there are certain anglers you could throw. So, well, I guess we better back up before we we'll start yakking and joking around and stuff. Let's define a mend. My, I'll tell you my
1: definition. And then you tell me your definition Sounds and maybe good.
0: somewhere in the middle will be kind of... Yeah, this will
1: be interesting because we've never really had this conversation with each other before. We each do it individually in the boat with clients and yeah, this will be interesting.
0: Yeah, so I define amend as any strategic repositioning of the line once it's on the water. So that could be feeding more line to it. That could be adding slack. It could be adjusting the line for it to go upstream or downstream. There's things called hump mends and anchor mends and all that stuff, and we'll get into a little bit more technical stuff later on. But anything you do with the fly line on moving water, or even even drifting water, I suppose, in a lake when you have that surface current, would be a mend. A mend fixes your line in a, in a strategic manner
1: in an attempt to catch a fish. That's exactly. I define it as fixing your drift. So your bobber sometimes it needs to be slowed. Or down. dry fly. Or or dry fly. Sometimes it needs to be slowed down so that it matches the speed and the direction of the natural current. Other times it actually needs to be sped up. So a mend is not always taking and flipping your line upstream. A lot of times it is taking and flipping your line downstream so that the line can actually catch up with the, the drift of the dry fly or the bobber. So yes, it, I think we're on the exact same page with that
0: yeah it mending it's it's fun watching you know when we teach anglers and we're literally right here on the banks of the yakima river uh, out in front of our fly shop and we're watching the water flow by right now looking at literally dozens of spots we've actually mended line and caught fish from this very spot we're sitting but when we teach anglers it's always fun to watch that intuitive process that some have for figuring that stuff out right because The goal of the men is to present the fly naturally, being that uh, a dry fly or a nymph or even a streamer. And certain anglers
1: figure that out faster than other anglers, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, intuitively, what I like to describe to people is... You see lots of foam bubbles. If you're fishing in the right places on the river during the course of a day, you see lots of foam bubbles drifting down the river. There's always a bubble line around the places where you want to fish. And you need to envision your fly moving at the same speed and at the same in the same direction as those natural bubbles out there because those represent what a real fly would be doing on the water. And so experienced anglers tend to have picked that feel up for what they need to be doing so that even before Joe starts to say "Mm, mm, mm, mend they're already doing it and sometimes they're realizing that they need to to slow their their fly down so they release tension on the fly other times they realize they need to speed their their line up to keep up with the fly so they increase a little tension by mending down river then
0: yeah just constantly making those adjustments and then You know, we'll talk about different types of mends and just kind of break it up, but sometimes you're mending and just literally keeping the line busy so that a floating line might stay on the surface, right? That's right. Hydraulics and undertoes, if they get a hold of that line and suck it under... So sometimes there's mends that you just do for the
1: sake of keeping your line busy and keeping it on the surface, right? Yep. You yeah. can't, yeah. If, you, if your line is caught, you need to anticipate when you're going to mend it, and you need to read the water between your rod tip and your fly because if your line, you realize you're going to have to mend it in in five feet here, and you're looking at that water where your floating fly line is drifting, and you realize there's a bunch of little toilet bowls in there, If you don't pick that up off the water right now, not to mend it necessarily, but just get it up off the water, then you're not going to be able to make that mend when you need to in five feet because your line is toilet bowled under and your drift is dead at that point.
0: Yeah, my dry fly sunk, Steve. My dry fly keeps sinking. (laughs) Yeah, we hear that a lot, and a lot of times, uh, you know, this is not to chase too many squirrels here, but that's one of the challenges for you know small dry fly fishing is one of the most technical ele- you know uh, let's just say disciplines of fly fishing and one of the toughest things i'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this like yeah fishing small dry flies is tough they always sink but a lot of that is not the fly it's attributed to the angler and that maybe lack of mending or bad mend timing or letting that line get sucked under in a whirlpool and then deciding to mend after the line is six inches well maybe even an inch underwater you pulling on one end of a sunk line will pull the small dry fly on the other end underwater and so mending can really help anglers keep their fly mending well can help their keep their small dry flies on the surface much better uh when they time those things appropriately
1: and keep that line up on top without a doubt mending mending well and mending often enough that you don't allow that line to get uh, to get too deep into that surface tension with the water i mean the best mend when you're fishing with a dry fly the best mend that you can make is right when your fly hits the water you immediately want to pick it up before that line gets settled into the surface tension with the water pick it up right then make your mend it stays light and quick and and it pivots right on the fly it's perfect mend. yeah because i'm always shocked how much tippet sinks Oh, yeah, tip it and the the fly line itself. I mean, there's a lot of that fly line is very buoyant, but it also has a lot of surface area for, for that water tension to grab onto.
0: Yeah, and they will tug it. So, yeah, men and yeah, so there's all sorts of different mending that takes place. Uh, but it, let's take a step back for just a moment and before we start really teaching the different types of mends and, and when you might execute those, and just talk for a moment about the drag free drift because no doubt we have you know we've got some greenhorns out there that are just hungry for this information but let's visit drag free drift just real quick because most of our mending with the exception of fishing streamers or bait fish is all going to be directed towards how to keep that fly on a drag free float in the river so let's talk about that for a minute and you define drag free drift
1: and then i'll define it for the most part, it's just like we talked about. If you pay attention to the foam bubble line, it those represent a drag-free drift. Those foam bubbles represent the speed and direction, because direction is important too. A, a, a river current does not always flow straight down river. There's lots of places where there are swirls, and your line and your flies and your your you know setup needs to be able to follow those different micro currents within the river and and that's the key to catching fish frankly it so a drag free drift that's what you want to pay attention to is the speed and direction of the foam bubble line is i think the best way to visualize it and see it out there and if you put your fly on the water and it's floating faster than the bubble line or it's not moving in the same direction as that bubble line then you need to tend your line you need to do something either speed it up, slow it down, or, or give it some slack so that it can follow those different micro seams. It's
0: got to wander. Yeah, so yep. in, a, in most streams, and we don't have a lot of swimming nymphs in our river. Um, we fish primarily, we're, we're out in the west, and most of the streams we fish are pretty quick moving. And so that means that the insects in our rivers are going to cling to the rocks or they're going to crawl, but they're not going to swim. So for the most part, we don't have a lot of swimming nymphs. Now there are some places in in slower moving streams uh, where swimming nymphs and and certainly the techniques and all that, yeah, and, and swinging swinging nymphs on tension certainly have their place. But ninety five percent or more of what we do is going to be what we call dead drifting the fly. And the easiest analogy I you know that I can think of is. A worm is also an insect, right? So, well, technically, I'm sure there'll be somebody here, an entomologist who calls me out on that, but a a worm uh, is a bug. And if it were dropped in the water, it's at the mercy of the current, right? It's gonna have somewhat of a neutral buoyancy. It's gonna flex and wander and drift completely at the mercy of the various currents that it encounters, be it, you know, the fast currents that we're looking at right here, uh or some of those micro currents that you talk about where it's going to wander a little bit left and wander a little bit right but we really need that natural flex and wandering our flies to follow that as if there's no line attached to them and they're completely at the mercy of the current
1: that's right and the thing to note with that is anytime you're watching a foam bubble line you'll notice that that at some point, those foam bubbles are going to start to accumulate in, in certain areas. They're going to form a foam pocket. And you need to remind yourself at that point, you say, okay, if, I, if those foam bubbles represent real, like you said, Joe, worms or other aquatic organisms that end up in that bubble line, whether they're on the surface or under the surface, they're going to end up getting washed into that same foam pocket accumulation that those bubbles represent. And that's where those fish are going to go then, because one, that's where the food ends up. That's the feed line, and that's where it ends up. That's the kitchen. And two, is because that current in there is a lot softer. Those trout don't have to burn a lot of calories to hold in that soft water. So they've got the best of both worlds there. They get the food that that the current is bringing to them, and they get to sit in there and, and not worry about fighting the current and burning calories there. They're taking calories in at that point.
0: Yeah, so what you're describing is
1: kind of like a back eddy, essentially. It, exactly, yeah. yeah. But there's lots of other just thicker than thicker than just one or two foam bubbles that you need to be paying attention to. Anywhere where foam bubbles accumulate and they get a little bit thicker, that represents what you could call, I mean, think of it as a micro back eddy. There's yeah. a good chance that a trout is going to be sitting there because it shows there's a decrease in water pressure of some kind an accumulation of different current lines that are bringing more than just a bubble or two into that spot.
0: Yeah, so I guess foam lines kind of mark converging currents, right? Exactly. Yeah, yep. so it's
1: squeezing food together into one, you know, I said, like, convenient for the trout. Exactly, yep. The foam is home. The foam sure. is home. And in order to fish those foam lines effectively, it is a convergent current, and it represents definitely a change in current. And so in order to get a drift in that, mending is imperative.
0: Yeah, because there's multiple speeds of current, right? So if my fly line's in one speed of current, my fly's in another, I need to, to strategically move that line so that the two are agreeable.
1: That's right, yeah. yep, yep. That's and, well defined. And now that's talking about you know fishing the bubble lines, which as guides, I mean, we love to fish bubble lines. We love saying clients, the foam is home. We love saying that, making that statement. That's what we we named our bar now is the back eddy, (laughs) where the foam is home. (laughs) I was just going to say, that's the name of our bar. But we Uh, love saying that, and one reason we love it is because usually that foam bubble line is two or three feet feet off the bank. It's mm -hmm. not a challenging cast. It's not a a tough drift to get. It requires, frankly, more patience and confidence than anything because anglers just naturally, they want to migrate as tight to their grassy bank as they possibly can get and they just need to understand you've got to read the currents. Now, that being said, we get into the summer months. And the summer months, when we're running grasshoppers out here, our goal is to run that dry fly as tight to that grassy bank as you can possibly get it. And if your fly, a lot of times I tell people, if your fly is three inches from the edge of the grass, it's three inches too far at that point. Mm-hmm. And a common scenario, Joe, that people get into is, you know, they land a good cast, it's tight to the bank, but now they realize they've got to make a mend, and they know as soon as they make the mend what's going to happen. It pulls the fly away from the shore. So how do they combat that with the mend? Because this is something that people deal with every day, and this is one thing that can be very frustrating with mending. To mend
0: or not to mend, right? You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But, uh, yeah, you're probably going to use a couple of different techniques. main one is going to be... uh, giving it a little slack line to yep. cushion the blow to the fly. The other one is uh, one of the big problems I see, especially with beginning menders, is uh, not getting the rod tip elevated. Uh, yep. And and line moves easier through the air than the water. Just, yes. Yeah. That's a, just a great way to help you remember that. We want to elevate that rod tip and get that rod tip up. But
1: you're right, Steve, there's so many challenges that, yeah, so you mentioning, Joe, cushioning that line, what Joe is talking about there is lots of, you know, fly casters. You're holding, as if you're casting with your right hand, right-handed caster, you land your fly tight to the bank, lots of fly casters, especially when you're working down a grassy bank, you're holding two or three feet of slack line in your left hand at all times. Just because you might need there's a bush that sticks out that you want to go way back into you might need that little bit of extra distance so you're holding it in your left hand already now the key is if you land your fly tight to the bank and, and just lift your rod and flip it up river you you're telling the the line and that whole system the fly and the line that you're needing to create some slack between your rod tip and the fly and it, if you don't do anything with it you just lift your line and make that motion it's going to create that slack by pulling your fly out off the bank yep so what we want to do what joe means by cushioning the fly line is you take that two or three feet of slack line that you're holding in your left hand and you actually feed that out through the tip on the men so that you're giving that slack but you're not taking it all you're actually giving some of it and so a lot of times what that mend will do is it splits a difference. It still might move out a little bit from the bank, but it's not going to move out all the way from the bank.
0: Yeah, and so you, yeah, that's a good way to explain it. Uh, I let go of the line with my left hand as I mend with my rod hand. Correct. or Or yeah. vice versa so for So you're self, actually uh,
1: feeding some line onto the water in your mending motion, and that is actually cushioning it so that it's not taking all the slack from the line that's on the water you're feeding into it it's going to keep that fly drifting tighter to the grass yeah the other thing
0: you know when it comes to touch, you know like there's two different types of men's and we don't really have an itinerary we're going to talk through we just want to share some knowledge with you but to understand fishing strategy you you could there's lots of different types there's hundreds of different men's i suppose they have funny names and we can't get through all of them today there's anchor
1: men's hump men's stack men's lots and lots of men you get into your your aerial parts of casting too where you're actually mending the line in the air the the reach cast is a very common and popular one yep and that's the intent i mean is is being able to land your fly in a lane that you don't have the luxury of making a mend because you might move your fly out of the lane then at that point
0: yeah so there are all these detail men's but fundamentally they're really if we could draw them into categories there would be setup men's and fishing men's right so yep. a setup mend is going to be there isn't consequence to moving your fly or your setup maybe that fly is a dry fly maybe it's an indicator rig but i lay my cast down and i've got a target area say four to fifteen feet downstream Take, yep. take your pick, the numbers don't really mean much, but point being, I've landed the fly and I'm gonna make a large aggressive bend to set up for a much longer drift. Yep. So the setup bend is always gonna happen early in the cast or it could break one cast up into two very different drifts. A setup bend could, always, could, could do that as well. A fishing bend or a touch bend is gonna be much more delicate in nature and we're gonna do those when we feel as though the fish has line of sight on the fly it's gonna be very delicate. It's gonna be a very articulate motion so that the fish will tolerate any movement that we put on the fly. And when I say tolerate, it's not just movement, but it's sound as well. I think that the fish it, hearing and right. feeling fly line and and indicators move through the through the water, across the surface, have an impact. So I was saying quiet on the indicator. And that means, you know, leave kinda of leave it alone. Let's be delicate with it. But indicators will make a lot of noise when mended aggressively, which is okay in the setup mend. Once we've maybe you know kind of gotten into that what we feel is our target zone or our strike zone because every cast should have a plan people uh but once it gets in there then i'm going to convert to fishing men's i'm going to be very delicate very quiet and stealth is at a
1: premium once i've entered that kind of the red zone if you will that's right and that being said i mean you know fishing big dry flies on this river in any western trout stream i mean that's a good point to bring up too because a lot of times yet we want people to twitch that fly. There are definitely times out here where these trout respond to a twitch fly. Our summer stone fly that we get on this river, those flies move. Mm-hmm. And those fish like to see that movement. And what that movement is, I mean, you're controlling that with a series of light, delicate, planned mens. That are designed to keep that fly light on the surface we want it skittering we don't want it to to submarine underwater and, and bounce back up because we've let our line get toilet pulled under and and you know we don't we don't fish like that but having that planned mend with the goal every cast has a goal and having that planned mend with the intent of moving the fly in the fishing manner is imperative to success fishing big dry flies out here in the summer months.
0: Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think that's really good advice. And uh, one term that I've used in the past is, so you're going to throw into situations, be it wade fishing on foot on a totally different river than we fish. We're, we fish a variety of rivers here, but a lot of times we're casting across pretty turbulent water. And we cast across faster currents to slower currents for the most part. So there's going to be either, when we cast across faster currents to slightly slower currents, there's going to be some type of adjustment or mend involved. And what Steve is describing is kind of killing two birds with one stone, and we're going to have to mend it. But we can disguise our mend by also twitching and skittering. So we give it some lifelike action on this particular insect, and a grasshopper could do that, a stonefly could do that. Big, lots of big terrestrial bugs could do that. Caddis right. do that even. Uh, they run across the water. So we can emulate movement, and we can disguise our mend at the same time, and and that's a great piece of advice. And there's another term called walking the dog that's kind of similar in a sense, and you could use that to pull it away from sticks, skitter your fly away from sticks, but also do so uh, with this, the strategy of I'm mending it at the same time as I twitch it away from sticks, other obstacles, yep. or simply across adjustment. Yeah, or across a whirlpool. Well, I can yep. see a big whirlpool coming and man that little white water is gonna wreak havoc on my fly. But I'll bet you if I skittered it right through that white water and kept a little tension on it and kept it up on top, I could survive the white water and be perfectly set up, maybe for a pocket in behind there, for instance.
1: Yep. Now two two tips for mending. One of them we already touched on, but just straight mending in general, there's two things that I think can certainly help you. One is is the least amount of line that you actually have on the water the easier it is to mend so you want to lift that rod tip up in the air like joe said it's first a lift and then a flip it's not just drag your rod tip up river. you need to break the surface tension with the water first and then you have a much easier time aerializing that line and, and moving it up river the other thing that can help out a ton is if you're fishing on a downstream casting angle especially in a boat then you have a much easier time mending your line than if you're throwing 90 degrees straight across or certainly on an upriver casting angle. Trying to fish upriver angle and mend your line you're you're taking on the brunt of every different speed of current between you and your fly that there is and it's just not going to end well. You're going to end up moving that fly right through the zone you want to be fishing when you try and mend it and it's going to look very unnatural to the fish and even though your cast could be perfect, the most important part of catching fish is the presentation part of it, not the casting part. You've got to get that thing drifting naturally to trip the fish.
0: Yeah, and so they're, you know, and if you're fighting the mend, if you're fighting and fighting and fighting and beating your head against the wall, and you're not getting good presentation, chances are you're probably approaching the water poorly too, because experienced anglers and and we've said this before on podcasts, but you know steve and i when we drive to work in the morning we see anglers every day right we drive by we watch fishermen and and we're just exposed to this all the time wading, boating guiding teaching and when an angler is is not standing or rowing or casting in the appropriate angles and they're fighting hard to get those drifts they're probably have not having the correct approach right so if i'm casting across let's just say i'm wade fishing right and if i'm casting across slower water to faster water i'm going to cast upstream and there are angles at which i can approach that type of spot where i have almost no mend at all it's a neutral presentation if i look at a piece of water and i say man i my target water is right there and i'm going to make one perfect shot i can angle that cast at such a degree upstream that it's going to float back towards me almost neutral and Inversely, if I approach that same piece of water and I tried to fish downstream to it, it might not work at all. I'd be feeding line and mending downstream and really banging my head against the wall. So without being able to to visualize some of these things I'm describing, if you're casting across slower water towards a little faster stream or seam, in general, you're gonna want to cast upstream. That is an appropriate time to do it, yep. And if you're casting across faster water towards slower currents, like we do often do in our drift boats, we would like to fish a really steep downstream angle so that I can cast, make a mend, and, and get my line and leader and tip it upstream of the fly, and then maybe feed line and, and add slack line. That'd be a some would call it a stack mend. We often just call a feeding line. I would use my rod tip, my my rod tip to delicately add line to the drift. So, as you approach water and you have an idea of where the fish is going to be, put some thought into the direction and angle of which you present to make your mending job as easy as you can because a mend is only there to fix the cast. That's right. And and the best casts are ones where we don't need that. Now, it's not always possible there's going to be constantly having these little adjustments, but I think that's a really important tip. And then I heard you say something else that I want to touch on before it, it, it escapes me, but You you talked at one point about having to delicately make these adjustments, these mends, and there's a reason, like, we buy really good fly rods, right? And it's not just because they can cast a mile or they look great or they're incredibly accurate, but the functionality of, a, a, say, a 9-foot graphite rod and its ability to delicately mend, present, and make those game-time adjustments to the fly line, the mend is like the closer, right? Like that's right. That's what actually gets the fish. And so when you select fly rods, a lot of, you know, a lot of gray-haired anglers that have put a lot of ears on the river, you're gonna find them fishing more of a medium to medium fast action. That's what they like. And it's, a lot of it has to do with the mending. And that's one, there's not really a tangible way to measure a rod's mendability like we can with casting. But uh, take that into consideration when selecting fly rods is its
1: ability to make those little adjustments. No doubt about it, yes. And it, uh, you know, with regards, Joe, to talking about where you position yourself based on the currents and, and the type of water and the situation that you encounter. I mean, brush behind you is another one. It, the wind angle is another one. I mean, all of those things, those are variables in fishing. What's not variables in fishing is where the fish are going to be living. They are living in their house, and they're living there because that current is bringing them food and the speeds of current that are there. At that point, everything else, how you approach it, is a variable. And you just want to make the most of it. So you need a strategy. I mean, look at those, study those spots, read the current, figure out what you need to do, visualize the mins that you need to make, and, and and then get yourself into position to do it effectively.
0: And some of this is just figuring it out. It's gonna be an intuitive process, and you gotta look at your drifts critically yep. and say, Nah, that didn't work. There's got to be a better way, and uh, and figuring that out. And there's lots of little adjustments that you can make. Uh, the the thing I'll touch on with nymph fishing, uh, because most of the anglers listening to this, I if I could fish dry flies all year long, I would. But we're going to do some nymph fishing, right? And nymph fishing takes on a very different type of mending, and uh, with with nymph fishing, there's two basic types it. well there's several but we're going to break it into essentially indicator nymphing and european style nymphing and indicator style nymphing is what most of us are going to do i'm going to embark on the odyssey of learning how to european style nymph this year not yet but with indicators one thing to explain is that the surface currents are very fast right so we have these currents and if you imagine the uh imagine the river like a, a four lane highway right you get all these different lanes and they're kind of moving different speeds But rivers have yet a three-dimensional tier because the current along the bottom of a river is quite slow. And that's where most of the trout live, right? They live in that bottom half of the water column. Surface currents along the top are moving about twice as fast. So when anglers mend with a strike indicator and a sinking nymph, that indicator, if we're gonna get it moving the same speed as the fly, has
1: gotta be moving a lot slower, right? That's right. That's right, and yeah, you know, a good way to do that, I mean, classic nymphing spots are big boulders. We were just talking about this this morning. A big boulder sitting in the middle of a, you know, fast straight current is going to put up a big current break there. And there's going to be food then swirling around both sides of that boulder. So a fish sitting just on the downstream side of that boulder is going to be able to sit in a fairly stationary position, and keep its eye on both sides of the boulder that's going to potentially bring it food. And all it has to do is move two inches to the left, open its mouth, or move two inches to the right and open its mouth, and it's it's getting fed. Mm-hmm. And But the boulder seam also represents a very difficult spot to get adrift because there's the one little soft spot there, and then you've got some toilet bowl currents coming around both sides of the boulder with super fast current. Are on the edges of that and which represent either side that you're going to be approaching it from so your your green floating line lands in the super fast water your leader lands in the swirly toilet bowl water and your fly or indicator land in that soft spot and under normal conditions at that point to keep your drift going in that soft spot you have to make a series of perfect mends, which are going to be It's going to go land your fly and mend, 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 to try and keep it drifting in that soft seam long enough for a fish to eat it.
0: Yeah. And with mending for nymphs, like the indicator is just a part of your line, right? That's right. So it deserves to be mended just like the line because we're not, the indicator is not our, our pattern. Right. So when we mend, if it were a setup mend, we would mend that indicator. Yeah. And, and then maybe leave it alone after that, you know, touch men's and, and quote unquote fishing men's, I, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, the nymphing setup men's for nymph fishing are much more aggressive. Yep. Without a doubt because of the indicator. And then explain uh, so that boulder scenario, that's yep. so a that great boulder piece of advice. Yep. Yeah, those are broken currents, mixed currents, lots of different speeds. We would call that a technical, you know, uh challenge there, a technical piece of water. Explain uh, high sticking.
1: So that's the, the, the best strategy for approaching a boulder like that. And it doesn't even have to be a boulder. It could be a big pile of rocks that are, that are anchored on the bank too, or a big log that's making a wake for that matter. The key thing that you want to do at that point, your leader and tippet are very supple. Your leader and tippet can follow those different speeds of swirly toilet bowl water because it's supple enough. Your green floating line is not. So if your green floating line is on the water, then you need to mend and mend and mend and mend to keep it drifting. What I would do and what we recommend and and coach just about every day that we're in drift boats is you want to move yourself position-wise as close as possible to that soft current seam so that you can reach out your fly rod and lift it up in the air and lift all of your green floating line off the water. So just the tip of it right where the the green floating fly line attaches to the butt section of your leader that should be the point in contact with the water at that point. And then you can make one soft little mend just to your indicator and now if you're standing there you're fine because you're, you know, not moving downstream beyond your target point so those flies are going to marinate in that soft seam long enough. They're going to stay right with the natural current there because you don't have that fast current pulling on your green line anymore. If you're in a boat, then the guy on the oars needs to get on them at that point and try and hold you there slow enough and slow the boat down enough that you can get your natural drift through that seam long enough that a fish can eat it there. That's, that's where the guys earn their money. Nipping. Yes, that's where they earn their money. and That's a common scenario that bank anglers on... The Yakima River is high in the summertime. The Deschutes is high in the summertime. Lots of other streams across Montana, Colorado, Idaho are all high in spring runoff periods. And that's always a a very viable strategy is you just walk the bank. You don't even need to step in the water in periods of high water. Just find yourself a boulder that's making an eddy like that. Dump your flies into it and high stick that thing. And you can catch a lot of fish that way from foot.
0: Yeah, there's some, I mean, we're going to have to end up doing a couple of different episodes on this because mending is just such a complex thing, and it's actually kind of tough to video, too. Uh, I've tried a couple of different things. Uh, If if you want more information on the nymphing mending, there's a tip on YouTube called Best Nymph Fishing Tip Ever because I think I've helped more people catch more fish using that than any other. You can check that out. I think that wraps up today's podcast, and just remember, people, if you mend... And for a reason.
1: And if you don't go fishing, you you don't have to worry about it.
0: (laughs) All right. Till next time. Thanks.